Welcome to the New Harvest Podcast. You are listening to part two of the First John Sermon Series. Today's sermon is called, If We Walk in the Light, and the scripture reading comes from the book of First John, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. The Bible says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. If you grew up in church, then you would often hear something like this. The youth pastor comes up before the kids and says, Hey, who is a Christian? Everyone raises their hands. And then he would ask, you know, how many of you believe that Jesus is God? Or how many of you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Raise your hand and every hand would shoot up. And then the pastor would continue. Okay, if you were to die tonight, how many of you are sure? that you will go to heaven. Suddenly, there are a lot less hands, and then the room gets really awkward, and there's a quiet despair that fills the room. If you're not sure, then come up here and receive Jesus Christ into your heart. Be sure that you will enter heaven if you were to die tonight, and all the kids will rush up to the altar. And this is the uh, stereotypical assurance of salvation moment that we try to have uh, in the youth group scene, right? And this is the reality that uh, many Christians still struggle with the question of the assurance of salvation, faith versus works. Uh, some people will quote Romans ten nine, right? If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, other people will point to James, where it says, You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. Uh, remember the story of Billy and Jimmy that we heard last week, right? Uh, where they say that you will probably have to wait until the end of your life to be sure if you are truly a Christian. And then this is exactly how many Christians feel. They feel that it is impossible to have real assurance of salvation. It is impossible to know that if you're saved, right? And the kids that have rushed up to the altar and received Jesus Christ for, you know, the fifth time or the tenth time or how many times that they have done it, they will be good for a little while. They'll feel good until next year the next retreat or the next lock-in when a different pastor asks the same questions and the same kids will run up to the altar and they will accept Jesus Christ into their hearts again and again and again because they're not sure. They have doubts. And if you really think about it, uh, we have built doubt into faith, right? Doubt has become an essential part 
of our Christian faith, right? We say things like, it is okay to doubt. Everyone doubts. And if you look up on the internet, we have all these uh, sayings about what doubt is, right? I found some online. It says, faith is not the absence of doubt. It is the presence of belief in the midst of doubt. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It is the means to overcome it. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It is belief without proof, not without question. Right? And, you know, here, I thought that faith and doubt were antonyms. But it seems like faith and doubt are pretty much the same thing, right? You can believe while doubting and doubt while believing. And a lot of people grow up like this, with this listless, motionless, emotionless, powerless, lukewarm faith, right? We're kind of like objects in space, in this uh, state of inertia. We're like really unmoved and unchanged, just kind of floating around, going nowhere fast. A lifeless faith, a pointless faith. Why would you start living like a Christian unless you know that you are a Christian? And how would you know that you are a Christian until you started living like one, right? It's kind of the Christian version of the uh, chicken versus the egg debate, right? I wonder if the apostles ever doubted God. Did the apostles ever struggle with doubt or have questions like us, you will immediately say, no way. Right? They were with Jesus day and night for three years straight. They were eyewitnesses of his miracles, his signs and wonders, of the healings and exorcisms. Right? Uh, John said so himself in, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands, have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Right For the apostles, faith was not believing something irrational without proof. For them, there was overwhelming proof. Right? How could they not believe it? Right? You may say... Seeing is believing. And the reason that you don't believe is because you didn't see Jesus with your own eyes, right? If you were able to see Jesus as John and the apostles did, then you would believe just like them, right? And that would be true. You would believe just like them because they didn't believe. The disciples did not believe in Jesus when they saw him, when they were with him. Actually, Jesus constantly rebuked them for their lack of faith. If you read the Gospels, you will see that his pet name for them was, You little of faith. Why do you doubt? Why are you afraid, O you little of faith? Right? One time the disciples could not drive out a demon. They ask Jesus, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus says plainly in Matthew seventeen twenty, Because you have so little faith, I truly tell you, if you have faith 
as small as a mustard seed, right? If you had only faith as small as a mustard seed, think about what Jesus is saying about his disciples. Even though they saw Jesus, their faith was still smaller than a mustard seed. Interestingly, seeing did not lead to believing. They didn't believe precisely because they could see him. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. You know, it is so funny when modern Christians think that they would have easily believed in Jesus if they were living in the New Testament times. Right? They would say, oh, it's so clear that this man is God. He walked on water. He turned water into wine. He did all of these things. It's obvious. His name is Jesus. In Hebrew, it means he saved. So obviously, he's the Savior. But imagine today if some man claimed to be God. And there were video clips of him walking on water. And stories about him doing miracles and healing people. Would you believe no, you would accept a million different explanations before believing that that man was really God. That would be the last option. But more interestingly, these you little of faith, these apostles, suddenly had great faith after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right? Why? It's because they received the Holy Spirit then they clearly understood the true meanings of his words and miracles. The disciples doubted Jesus when they saw him and believed in him when they couldn't. How is that possible? So First John essentially teaches young Christians, new Christians, how to have assurance of salvation. Right? He doesn't really use our modern Christian terminology are theological terms, but this is what this letter is about. How can you tell the difference between genuine Christians and false ones, between those who are with us and those who went out from us, from those who are for Christ and those who are anti-Christ, between those who walk in the light and those who walk in the darkness? So how do we know? The people who walk in the light versus the people who walk in the darkness. It says here in First John chapter 1, 6, 7, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us. From Austin. How does John define a Christian? A Christian is someone who walks in the light. And instantly, you might be thinking, walking in the light means being pure, being moral, being righteous. And John is saying that a true Christian is a good person who doesn't sin anymore. We have to be perfect. But that's not true because in the verses right after this, John also says, if we claim to be without sin, then the truth is not in us. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him, Jesus, out to be a liar. 
To walk in the light means that we have fellowship with God. Walking in darkness refers to not having fellowship with God. And so to, to, to John, a Christian is someone who has fellowship with God. It is very different from how we define what a Christian is, right? For us, we will say something like a Christian is someone who believes in God or who believes that the Bible is the word of God and, and has, you know, believes these certain things about God. But what does it mean to have fellowship with God? Fellowship is koinonia. Koinonia is the Greek word. Um, and, it, and it means, it talks about a shared life. Or like marriage is the greatest and highest example of koinonia in the world that we have, right? Two separate lives becoming one. And when you get married, there is no more my or mine anymore, right? The husband will never say to his wife, since you don't work and make money, you don't get to say how I spend my money. Or a wife wouldn't say to her husband, since those kids came out of my body, you have no say in how I raise my kids. Right? It, it, it all becomes shared. Right? It's our money, our kids, our life, our house. It's a shared life. When a poor servant girl marries in a wealthy, powerful king, she does not remain a poor servant girl. She becomes the queen of the entire country, sitting right beside her husband, the king, equal in power and majesty and authority. Even though she owns nothing, everything is hers by the virtue of marriage, by the virtue of the koanoa. Right, so Christians have koanoa with Christ. We have this unity, this this unity, this unison with Christ. So whatever belongs to Christ now belongs to us. His righteousness is our righteousness. His holiness is our holiness. His sonship is our sonship. His life is our life. His glory, our glory. So all the riches of God's grace is ours through fellowship with Christ, but it is not ours to keep. Christ shares it with us for some odd reason, and Christ becomes one with us. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 for 32, Paul talks about this kind of mystery, right? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. Now, first, it looks like he's just uh, citing Genesis when Adam and Eve become one. Uh, but then he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. All right. So this is what John is really trying to say. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And so if you have fellowship with God, then you're in the light, and then you can't be in the darkness, right? If you are in a dark room, right, and turn on the lamp, the lamp lights up the entire room. The The light drives out the darkness. The, the darkness becomes light. Right? It doesn't remain in darkness. 
Darkness and light doesn't coexist. Right? In other words, the light purifies the darkness. And that's what that's the meaning of First uh, John 1 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son purifies us from all sin. So we have no righteousness of our own, but it is a gift of grace because of our unison with God, because of our union with God. So we must confess our sins. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Um, Many Christians claim to be without sin, right? Like they'll say, okay, I, I may sin a, you know, a little here and there. I sin sometimes, but I don't really sin, right? I'm generally a good person. And the implication here is I don't really need Jesus. I don't really need grace. I just need a little boost, a little help. But we believe that we have a righteousness of our own. And so it says here in First John, Sinner, do not deceive yourself. Right? That's what John is saying. You only seem righteous because you are living in darkness. In the perfect light of Christ, you will see the true, ugly, sinful state of your soul. But in the light of Christ... Our sinful hearts are covered by his light, right? covered by his beauty. And they don't look dark and ugly because we are in him. So when we claim to be with sin, then we are truly without sin because of our fellowship with Christ. Christ will forgive us. He will cover us. Christ will drive out the darkness in us. Christ will be faithful and just. Um, Most Christians don't have assurance of salvation because they believe that it is their job to be faithful and just. Uh, We take the responsibility of forgiveness and salvation from Jesus and put it on ourselves. Right. So our salvation depends on how faithful I am. And how just I have been. And Christ is not really involved at all. right? So we try to be our own light. We try to save ourselves. But we must learn to rest in Christ and Christ alone. Jesus is faithful and just to forgive. And I think this is hard for us because think about how quickly we get tired of forgiving other people. How quickly parents run out of patience for their kids. How many times can a worker mess up before the boss fires him? How many times can a friend or a lover wrong you, betray you before you are done with them? Right? Think about how easily, how how quickly we lose patience for others. But Jesus is faithful and just. He does not get tired of forgiving us. And he is just He doesn't act out in anger or get swayed by emotion. And and as a parent, sometimes I see that in myself where 
I'm not always just, right? Uh, I get swayed by my emotions. Like, you know, my son can do one thing and then um, I won't get mad because I'm in a good mood. And then if I'm tired and stressed out and he does the same thing that he did yesterday, and then I blow up on him, right? Because I'm tired and I'm stressed out and I'm angry about something else. But Jesus Christ is not like that. He doesn't get tired, and he's just. No matter what you've done, no matter, you know, what sins you've committed, he is faithful and just to forgive because that's in his nature. This is the exact reason why so many of us live for God instead of living with God. We work for God. We go to church for God. We read the Bible for God. We lead praise for God. We become teachers for God. But there's no fellowship, no shared life, no joining in, no communion. You know, when you celebrate communion, it doesn't just represent communion. Communion is communion. And so I think a lot of times people get burnt out. Because they do things for God instead of with God. It says in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the Christian life, Christ living in you, and working in you to do good works, Christ gently carrying your burdens with you. You know, uh, Christ is the other oxen that is pulling the cart next to us, or is pulling the yoke next to us. This is why the burden is easy. I mean, uh, this is why the, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. It's because Christ is next to us, beside beside us, pulling the cart with us. He is not the driver yelling at us to go faster. It is a shared life, a shared burden. This is what the Christian life is supposed to look like. Instead, we become like the brother of the prodigal son. If you look at Luke fifteen twenty nine through 30, this is the uh, what the son looks like and thinks like. But he answered his father, "Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and you never and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you have never gave me even a young goat so that I can go celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him." And a lot of Christians are kind of living in this way. We are angry and despondent, resentful that God doesn't see how hard we have worked for him and and how we've been slaving for him. And he doesn't reward our faithfulness thinking, right? I have to work really hard to be a good son so that my father can love me. I have to do all these things in order to gain my father's approval. 
not realizing that the father's love was free and already his, right? So the father responds to this angry son in this way. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And we forget that, right? We forget that and and we go out there working hard to gain a little bit of favor, a little bit of blessing or a little bit of God's love as if as if he's withholding all these things from us. And we don't understand the beauty of Koyanoa, union with Christ. My son, you are always... So that's the irony, right, of this older brother where... He's with the Father all the time. He's working for the Father. But he doesn't realize you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. And so we doubt our salvation. We doubt our faith. And we always kind of run into this doubt. Um, I'll end with this quote from Christian Weeman. Um, and he talks about doubt. What we call doubt is often simply dullness of mind and spirit, not the absence of faith at all, but faith latent with the lives that we are not quite living, God dormant in the world to which we are not quite giving our best selves. Right. So what we call doubt is simply Dullness of the mind and spirit and not absence of faith at all. Right. So he's saying, you know. What we consider doubt is just faith not being lived out, faith not being put into action. And this is why we doubt it so much. Right. And so the cure for our doubt is putting our faith in action. And so I pray that, uh, and you know, as we continue this series in First John, and as you explore yourself and your faith, uh, that you will decide to put your faith into action. Let us pray. <laughs>